Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm officially back with the first episode of 2022. I have one very big announcement to make before we jump into the typical show updates. My wife, Nicole, and I have started 2022 by officially moving from Phoenix, Arizona to Austin, Texas. This past fall, I completed what ended up being my fourth of five trips to Austin for work-related activations. Simultaneously, Nicole advanced in her career, which makes it easier for her to be in Austin versus Phoenix. We like to think we are adventurous enough to chase opportunities. So after four amazing years in Phoenix, where we were both able to meet amazing people, progress in our careers and passions, we decided it was time to take on some new opportunities in Texas. In all fairness, Nicole is no stranger to Texas. She received her law degree from Baylor University and worked in Dallas for about 10 years before we got married and holds her law license in the state of Texas. So we are heading back to Texas with all her expertise and guidance. So what does this mean for HPO? I will likely have more opportunities to grow the podcast in Austin, do more in-person interviews versus remote. And my hope is to learn more about podcasting as a whole in Austin, which is becoming a bit of a podcast hub. With that, if you enjoy this podcast, I welcome you to subscribe if you have not already done so on your favorite podcast platform or YouTube. Subscribing and sharing episodes with your friends, family, and social media acquaintances goes a very long way in helping the show grow. So give me a follow on my social media profiles and like and subscribe to the podcast. Social media profiles you can find me at Instagram at Zach Bitter, Twitter at ZBitter, and on Facebook, my page is at ZBitter Endurance. You can also follow all my training on Strava by searching for my name, Zach Bitter, on that platform. All right, so I had a couple fun interviews to kick off the year. Lined up and recorded includes David Mariani, who is a trainer for Knees Over Toes Athletic Training Group. Dr. Nick Norwitz and Dave Feldman come on to share what we learned from the Lean Mass Hyper Responder paper that recently came out at the end of 2021. And Dr. Mark Bubbs returns to fill us in on what we have learned since his last appearance on optimal fueling for health and fitness, including as we age. If you remember, Dr. Mark Bubbs has a book called Peak, and he also has another book now called Peak 40, where we look at more of the aging athlete, I believe, but I have a lot of questions for him around that one. So look for those type of things to be coming up on the episode with him coming out later this year. Yet to record, but on the short list includes Aaron Alexander, We'll be coming back on to dive into some of the topics around movement and mind-body awareness that we did not have time for when he came on for episode 269. In that episode, we discussed quite a bit about breath work and how it is often overlooked as something that can be leveraged well outside of workouts. Dr. Nick Nortwitz will also be coming by himself later in the year to share some of his own personal experiences and research around low carbohydrate diets. I will also be doing some solo podcasts where I will fill you in on some of the tips and training strategies I'm interested in, as well as any questions, topics you all are interested in hearing more about. So please do not hesitate to send those over to me on my social channels or email. You can find me at the social media accounts mentioned before and via email at hbopodcast at gmail.com. 
All right, so today's guest is David Mariani. David is a strength and conditioning coach with Athletic Truth Group, ATG, where he works with Ben Patrick, also known as the Knees Over Toes guy. He believes in building a strong foundation from the ground up through strengthening the areas that traditionally get injured through sport by carefully examining the positions that sport puts on our bodies. He currently trains NBA, NFL, and MLB players and folks of all ages and ability levels. David and I discussed quite a bit about what means to what it means to move within ideal conditions versus real life conditions that we find ourselves in, whether through sport or daily life. David shares some practical starting points and the goal of ATG and knees over toes strategy to keep you healthy and active well into your life. All right. One way to support this podcast is through supporting the show sponsors. Sponsoring this episode are my friends at Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens has their flagship product, AG1, which I have been using AG1 since I was tipped off about them by Lex Friedman when I was on his podcast last year. So I am very excited to now welcome them as an HPO sponsor. AG1 is a powder that you can pour into a six to eight ounce glass of water. It comes packed with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Athletic Greens works with their in-house dietitian to continually update and improve their formula as the research evolves. I believe we should strive to meet as much of our micronutrient needs through healthy whole food options, but this can often be difficult as we demand more from our bodies and navigate busy schedules, especially when traveling. Personally, I start my day with a single scoop of AG1 with two drops of their D3K2 tincture that you get a year's supply of for free with your first order of AG1. Also for free with your first purchase of AG1 is a five pack of travel packets, which are these single serving sachets that will fit right into your travel bag, no problem, and will make it easy to use even when you're on the road. You can check all of this out and see if it is a good fit for you at athleticgreens.com forward slash HPO. If you have discovered you are lacking some key nutrients or simply want to ensure you are getting the ultimate nutritional insurance, check out Athletic Greens and see if it fits your lifestyle needs, all while supporting the HPO podcast. By supporting HPO through Athletic Greens, you also support sustainability and healthy nutrition for kids in need. Athletic Greens is climate neutral certified and with every purchase donates to charities in need like No Kid Hungry in the U.S. Athleticgreens.com forward slash HPO gets you the free year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five travel servings of AG1. Links are in the show notes and as always at zackbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Also, before we get rolling with David, if you are looking to bolster up your training for a race, feel free to head over to my website at zackbitter.com where you can get either ready-made training plans from 5K up to 100 miles or access some of my personalized coaching services as well as add-on features like email tech support and consultation calls. So head over to zackbitter.com, check those out. All right, folks, let's welcome David on to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Today, I'm joined by David Mariani. Am I getting the last name right, David? That's perfect. 
Cool. And do you prefer David or Dave or? Yeah, I usually go David, but I, I you know, they call me David or Dave. Uncle Dave is a, is what my nephews and nieces call me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we were we were just chatting a bit uh, before I hit record about uh, Wisconsin and Kenosha, where you kind of grew up. And you know, my family still is in Wisconsin. I grew up there as well, so we had some some geographical similarities. Yeah, beautiful state. Beautiful uh-huh. state. Yeah, a little little hard to bear this time of year, but it it gets yeah. it gets its good points too. So. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I was really excited to get you scheduled. Uh, you know, I've been following Ben Patrick, or as a lot of folks who listen to this will probably recognize as knees over toes guys for quite a while. And in fact, I've implemented some of his strategies into my own training, uh, especially with the strength training component of stuff I'm doing and have even used a lot of it when, when I was rehabbing an ankle that I injured uh, this past summer. So I've been uh, kind of following him and then a lot of folks that are kind of in that network, which, which I guess would be, would be you and some of the folks at the ATG uh, training stuff. So if you don't mind, just so our listeners are kind of familiar, you want to give us a little bit of a background about you and then kind of how you got into both uh, like kinesiology, strength work, and then ultimately uh, the knees over toes or ATG programming type stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it really would have to start back when I was about 10 years old and I started to kind of intro into sports. Uh, my dad's an immigrant of Italy. So soccer was the sport that he raised us on. He's about five, five and 140 pounds. Now I'm considerably larger. Um, but at the time I was a very small kid. Uh, I was the smallest, skinniest, probably the most unathletic on my teams. And I, around the age of 10, when I started sports, I started to develop sport injuries. Um, I would sprain my ankles a lot. Um, I had shin splints. Um, so my intro into doing things for my body started at a young age. I went to the physical therapist at 10 years old, um, went to see trainers uh, around that age and not necessarily for the, for the goal of maxing out my performance. It was really the goal of let's get pain free at a young age. Um, and, and, it, and, it, you know, it was, a, it was a struggle. It really was. So 10 through about four years ago, which I'm 33 now. So 10 to 29, uh, I had injuries. Uh, pop up and, you know, there, there would be things that I would do that would make it feel better, like almost like lateral things. Um, but they would never really heal the area. Uh, you know, it, I threw, I started about like 10, then, it, you know, it, it started with the ankle. I have to think back at this ankle shin splints. It started working its way up my body. So ankle shin splints started to deal with plantar fasciitis after that, a little bit of Achilles tendonitis. Uh, and then it started to work into my knee, um, by the time I was in college and I, at that point had grown a lot and I, uh, started to specialize more into basketball, which is what my platform right now is basketball biology. Um, so I started to go into basketball and then my knees started to have problems. So I had Oshkut slaughters, uh, I tore my meniscus, uh, and dealt with patellar tendonitis. Um, I got my degree exercise science degree, kinesiology degree at Carthage college with the intent of trying to find some of the solutions to these problems that I was dealing with physically. I got my CSCS, which is the certified strength conditioning specialist. Um, and at that point, uh, the best information I could find for myself led me to a guy named Cal Dietz, who's the head of kinesiology at Minnesota. Uh, and about six years ago, he started talking about, uh, the knees going over the toes when you play sports, uh, not just basketball, but basically every sport. Um, I've even looked at some of your running form, Zach, and you can see that the knee does go over the toe uh, on every stride. Um, so 
I was, that really intrigued me. I started learning as much as I could from him. Triphasic training is his book. Uh, he might've put out a couple other ones by now. Um, but then I was scrolling through Instagram uh, about a year or two after starting the knees over toes stuff with Cal Dietz, that stuff started to help. Uh, and then I found somebody knees over toes guy uh, on Instagram. And since I had already been studying this and, and it had been working uh, to help get some rid of some of these pain, um, I was already open to it right away. So I saw it and I was like, man, this guy, he won, he played basketball. Like I was still trying to play basketball. So he had played basketball, dealt with a lot of the same injuries and he had actually healed uh, his body. So I just DM'd him. Um, this would have been a little over four years ago. I DM'd him. I let him know my injuries, let him know what I was struggling with. And he DM'd right. Uh, it had to have been within an hour or two. I was very surprised. At this time, he only had about 3,000 followers, but he still, the, the body of work, I could tell right away, he had something special. Um, so I was surprised how quickly he responded. Um, and he let me know that they were going to release an online program if I couldn't make it down to learn from him uh, directly at Clearwater, Florida, where the, the hard uh, location of ATG was. Um, so I learned from him. Uh, I ended up getting, well, I was like one of the first five online members. And then uh, within a couple, within the first week, I noticed pain was subsiding. I know it was, I noticed my knee pain was going away. Um, and then about six months in, I was pain-free, uh, which was the first time I'd been pain-free since 10 years old. Uh, so that's about 19 years, almost two decades of, of continued pain and injuries. So then I, you know, I made a point to get down there, spent a month, a little bit over a month down there, uh, three years ago, working with him in person. Um, and that was just, uh, uh, some next level, you know, stuff as far as not only, uh, the getting people pain-free, but then there was like, there was guys for the Buffalo bills. There was guys from the NBA. They were all down there. He had a, it's a smaller town, Clearwater, but he had just such a vibrant gym. Um, and it was like a healing community. So that's, you know, that's basically how I got into, uh, knees over toes. That's how I met Ben. And, uh, we, now I work for him we work together and it's every day it's, it, it, it's, we get success stories from people around the world. Um, just today, uh, I had been working with a, a pro basketball player. She plays over in Portugal. Um, and she had just let me know that her knee pain is completely gone too. So, um, the, the, the the reward is a lot, has been a lot bigger than monetary. It's, uh, it's, uh, um, it's hard to put into words how, um, grateful I, I, I am for being able to, you know, find these people and, and learn from them and how, um, appreciative I am of them being open with what they know, because sometimes I would go to people that, you know, I thought would know stuff and I, you know, I kind of got no response, but with, you know, Cal and with, uh, especially with Ben, um, they, they were, they were sharing in abundance. So, that's, you know, that's a probably a little long winded, but that's, you know, a little run up as, as short as I can make it. Yeah, no, that was great. And I think one thing that I find interesting about, about all of you with that program is when I was kind of first introduced to it, it was like, I got the sense that basically everything that you're teaching and showing and advocating for can be found for free if someone really wanted to just kind of scour through all the YouTubes. I mean, you guys' Instagram pages are phenomenal. Uh, and if they really wanted to, if they had like no money to spend, they could kind of piece together a program that would probably help out quite a bit with whatever they were trying to do. But then you also have like the kind of the more ordered, uh, systematic, uh, 
structured programs that, that people can purchase too, if they kind of want to expedite the process more or less, or they want to kind of cut to the chase and really get into it, maybe not make as many kind of trial and error mistakes and sort of that sort of thing. So uh, it's the appreciation, I think is comes across quite clearly, because I don't think you you would see that much kind of free content going out from from the group if, uh, if it wasn't something you were all very uh, proud of, and also grateful for that you've had and want to share it. So I think that's a really cool kind of side piece to everything that you guys have done. Yeah, that and, and that's kind of what we, you know, we, we do sell the coaching and that's kind of, you know, what we use the, the, the content, the free content we put almost, you know, over a month period of time, you'll see everything between Ben's page, between my page, between some of the AT, other ATG coaches pages, you'll see everything that we do. Um, and then we kind of just rotate what we're releasing, but uh, what we what we offer for people to sign up for what they're really getting isn't just the program it's the coaching the form coaching and that's where we've kind of you know we capitalized on that before even um, before even COVID hit so we were set with our business model as far as one you're getting the program you go on the app you get to see all the videos of how to do it but then you you send your form in and you get coached and that's where we're able to you know it, not only about you know with with results for performance but we're able to help people with their pain more if we can see what they're doing versus just telling them what to do and not knowing if they're doing it correctly because even something as simple as walking backwards um you could you could in theory mess it up it's a little bit easier it's the first level of our program is walking backwards and then we add in the tip raises the first two steps we give those out for free with the coaching for free. Um, and then we coach the rest of the more advanced movements, but even with the tibialis raises uh, and, and the backwards walking, and when you start adding load on the backwards movement, it can be done incorrectly. So that's what we, you know, we focus on providing is uh, the, that level of coaching for anybody, whether it's, at, you know, it's athletic truth group, but it's not just for um, pro athletes like yourself. It's for, for anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, the other cool thing about the program that I recognized fairly quickly is there's like a, there's a lot of variability in kind of how you can do it based on what you have access to. So, and I think with a lot of, I mean, I've, I've definitely felt victim of this in the past too, where you think like, well, if I really want to focus on strength training, I got to go get myself a gym membership, or I got to just invest a ton of money in a home gym and that sort of stuff. And certainly those tools are, are helpful. And I think ultimately, you know, ideally you maybe have access to some of that, but a lot of the programs that are offered, uh, with, with you guys, you can do with zero, zero equipment essentially. And that's actually how I kind of got started. I was uh, playing around with the zero program and, and quickly found the tibialis raises, which in hindsight, I wish I would have known about that when I was coaching high school track and field, because it was like clockwork every year, as soon as the snow melted in Wisconsin and we got them out on that track four or five athletes, shin splints that we would just deal with the entire season, just like manipulating workouts, like, you know, working around it versus through it and that sort of stuff. And I, I think like a well-structured tibialis raise program in the off season may have eliminated a lot of that. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and, you know, so everybody starts at zero, whether, you know, they're the highest level athlete that we have on the program or, you know, or they're that, that elderly client or athlete, um, they all start with zero. So nobody starts with equipment. And actually this year, 2022, we will start to release some equipment that is like our program where it's very um, affordable and then it will be able to, to travel well. Um, so you'll see stuff, with the, you know, and I'll post more about that on the Instagram as it comes out because uh, not everybody has access to the gym, like you said, and some of the stuff 
um, it, it does help if you have a little equipment. So once you get past zero, you know, we tell people 12 weeks on zero is great. And then you can advance. Um, some people can advance quicker. Some people need to spend a little more time on zero. But when they do advance, you know, we're going to be able to provide uh, some affordable equipment because the equipment space is uh, you can, you know, you're ranging anything from a couple hundred to a couple thousands for some of these equipment. So um, that's something I think we're going to really, you know, dive into in 2022. Um, but yeah, the tibialis raises were they, the t- just the tibialis raise alone changed my life because not only did it get rid of the shin splints, but then it was able, you know, you're absorbing force, you're you're able to absorb more force in the tibialis, so it's not going into the knee because what the ankles um, can't absorb then goes into the knees. What the knees can't absorb goes into the hip and in the back. So uh, we we call it a ground up program, um, and we were really big on weighted sleds when you you know when you have access to them because it it builds the you know the 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 foot strength and the ankle strength. And then when it's like building a house on, on rock versus sand, you know, when, once you have that base set, it's a lot easier uh, and safer to go up the chain versus if you're starting with upper body, which is, you know, something I'd done in the past. I, you know, with the knee pain, I avoided doing legs. I, I never really did uh, tibialis raises. I had done like an ankle four way with the resistance band, but that's harder to scale. What you'll see with like, even what some of the videos I've gone viral with, it's like a, like a dumbbell attached to the bottom of my foot. And it's easier to scale that because you can do a two pound dumbbell uh, and then, you know, work your way up. I think I started like a five pound. I can get it up to like, you know, if I really push it 30 pounds, probably per single leg, but it's not about pushing it. It's about getting those little wins and it's easier to scale it. If it's two pounds, four pounds, you know, six pounds, and then just working your way up. Um, We've never really seen it scaled before. And there's never been a, a scientific research study done on what shrinking the tibialis can do for your performance. Um, I don't know what the reason for that is, but, you know, we're finding out with just the tibialis training alone, uh, we're able to get rid of shin splints and a lot of this knee pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some interesting variations of tibialis, like weight, the weight stuff that I've seen online, the, the harnessing the dumbbell to your foot through with duct tape resistance bands and things like that. I saw, you know, another one that I, I did a little bit that you can manipulate the weight if you want is I just took an old milk jug and I, you could, it's actually, I didn't thought of this until now, but you could probably do a better job with like a half gallon one versus a full gallon one. And this is probably a little more applicable for someone who's a moderate to small foot versus a really large one, because like, I just used the little handle there, jam my, yep. like three of my toes in there. And uh, yeah, just do that tibialis raise with that. And then you can go from the full uh, a full gallon to a quarter gallon or half gallon, whatever you're ready for when you're ready wow. to add weight to it. So I've, there's a- <laughs> I've, I've never heard that. That's awesome. You know, I've heard kettlebells, but the problem with kettlebells is you, you, you know, you're at the mercy of the size of the handle. So I found mm-hmm. that my foot doesn't fit in most kettlebell handles. If it does and, and you can do that, that's great. But yeah, you know, same thing with the gallon. If you can, that's the cheap, probably the cheapest version you're going to be able to do to duplicate, you know, scaling it. That's a great idea. I've never even, heard or thought of that but yeah yeah it's interesting to see the different the different workarounds that people have come up with uh but i I do want to back up just a bit too and just kind of get a little bit of uh, an outline as to kind of the the overreaching kind of philosophy with the program because i think when i look at it what i think of is like there's this it's this practice essentially where they're like you, you mentioned it, like these impact forces, these loading of our joints and things like that, they're going to happen. Like the, I always talk about this one with, with footwear. A lot of times it's like, you can go to a maximum cushion shoe and you can alleviate some of the impact on that very first point of impact. But 
those impact forces don't just disappear into the shoe. They end up somewhere. And maybe that's your knees, maybe that's your hip, maybe that's your lower back. So really like getting strong and getting form proper or getting proper form and strength are going to be kind of the two things you really want to focus on because one form is going to maybe minimize the times that you're outside ideal impact bearing positions. But like you said, most sports or all sports, even running, uh, you're going to be outside those sometimes. So the stronger your muscles and your tendons are, the better you're going to be able to be equipped within those ranges of motion that go outside of what maybe would be considered ideal or perfect form. And uh, this type of programming is going to focus on making you strong in that. Is that kind of like the foundation of what, what everyone's trying to get at with it all? Yeah, you know, and we we've really excelled at at, at bringing up the the levels of force absorption, which isn't you know you know it's not as flashy on, on social media. It's not as easier you know it's not as easy to sell as market. It's not as sexy as you know your extension, which you hear a lot. You know, when I was in college and working with trainers, a triple extension. You know, triple extension. You hear extension of the ankle, knee, and hip. You'll hear it a lot. Uh, but we you know we've really focused on triple flexion, so that tibialis flexion, hamstring, and hip flexion. They really help the body absorb the force when the knee's going over the toes, when they're playing sports and the better you are at force absorption, the more potential you have for force uh, production. Um, so it's not, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. One, it, we're, we're able to create or help create uh, safer athletes, but we're also able to really boost performance at the same time, um, which is something I, I've looked uh, you know, since I started my training, uh, uh, my own training about like 15, 16 with weights, I always looked for one, one, what was getting healthy and what was, you know, improving performance. Cause they should go, they should go hand in hand. They should go side by side, but, um, yeah, that's what, you know, the, the, we use knees over toes. Uh, not everything we do is knees over toes in the program. Um, but yeah, the knees go over the toes a lot and that we find that the athletes that can go with the knees furthest over the toes are the most protected. That I think was a quote, um, from Charles Poliquin, who is, who Ben learned directly knees over toes. So I kind of learned it through academia, through Pell Beats. Ben was able to work directly with Charles Poliquin. Charles Poliquin was a, a, a trainer that had, I think, a, a couple hundred gold medalists in, in the Olympics. And he had taken initially a downhill skiing uh, team. I think it was either the Canadian national team, U.S. national team. This is where somebody will need to fact check me. But he took them from an 80% knee tear rate. And then he took it to a 0% tear rate by doing, by starting to implement getting stronger in the knees over toes position and working on these things that are not as glamorous, like the force absorption stuff, like the tibialis raises, the backwards movement, backwards movement goes all the way back. And I'm sure it goes back even further, but the, the, the first person I have been able to see that was promoting it was Muhammad Ali. He was a big proponent of backwards running. And he actually told, and this will be another one that needs to be fact-checked, Sugar Ray Leonard, I think is the, the, the champion that came after him. He told him because he, he was kind of like, no, nah, I don't need to do that. And Muhammad, you know, sat him down and was like, no, the backwards movement helps a ton. You know, you're, you're going to be multidirectional in, in boxing. You're also going to be multidirectional in most sports. Um, but the back, he was the one that was pushing uh, backwards running. It just, same with the tibialis raises. These are things that were around. There's the Watson tibialis machine. This is something that was around for, I think it's been uh, at least 50 years, but we've gone away from it a little bit because it, you know, it doesn't look as good. It's harder to market. So, you know, Ben really brought it all together and packaged it in a way that um, I never, I had never seen done before. 
Yeah, you guys are the first ones I've seen go on Instagram and post pictures of flexing your tibialis muscles. Everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's uh <laughs> I can't help but think the tibialis machine, yeah, you like you said, it's it's not the bench press, it's not the squat rack, it's not the ones that are gonna be like really cool to look at and aspire to become you know strong in the tibialis. It's one of those areas where you kind of ignore it until it breaks on you. And then once it breaks on you and the activity you're trying to do is is limited or eliminated from your routine is when you get around to addressing it, uh, which is kind of unfortunate, but uh you, you all have certainly kind of started, I think, to push it in a different direction where yes, uh, you probably still get a lot of people who are coming like for rehab purposes and then ultimately hopefully stick with it as something to get to like, you know, big performance improvements as well. But I think there's probably people coming to you without any injuries and just saying, Hey, I think this stuff is cool. I'm going to implement it because right now I'm young and healthy, but eventually I won't be. And I want to make sure I'm able to do this sport or this activity as long as I can and in as healthy a manner as possible. Are, are you guys seeing more, more folks coming in with that kind of agenda? Yeah. You know, initially when I started, you know, one of the first five online members, but most of those members were coming in looking to rehab and they looked at it like, okay, this is a rehab program. Um, but now we're definitely starting to see that shift. You know, I started you know, really pushing social media. I started about 3000 followers just over a year ago when we started to push it. Um, that was something I saw was, okay, now I'm getting people, you know, athletes, you know, pros specifically reaching out from around the world, looking for sports performance. Yes, there was still the ones that were reaching out looking for rehab, but we also you know, especially this last year, it's been a, it's starting to shift a little bit where it was just rehab. And now it's sports performance. We have some NBA strength coaches that have bought in the program, some NFL ones, um, and so they're using those, uh, as their, as their, their team strength program. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool to see, you know, I like both, I like both sides of it. I like working with the athletes to, so, you know, so they can be better at their sport, you know, maybe make more money on their contract, especially the younger athletes that struggle a little bit more, you'll see more gains quickly. Um, but I also still enjoy the athletes like myself that come into the program and their bodies are broken down and you're able to, to give them tools that they can use to heal their, you know, heal their physical pains. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the very first movement that kind of introduced me to, to everyone and the program itself was the knees over toes squat. And the first thing I thought of with that one was like, wow, this would be an incredible thing to implement or to, to put into your programming, especially if you're doing any sort of like downhill technical trail running because like just the running downhill on varied terrain, you're just going to load up that quad muscle so much. And ultimately you're going to end up, you know, pushing past your, past your toes. Or if you're not, you're going to be in a position where your foot's landing at an angle and it's going to put weird different stressors in that area that you maybe wouldn't get as much of running on flat terrain or running uphill. And, and I was thinking to myself, like, I wonder how many injuries in the trail running community come from, you know, downhill running where they don't necessarily connect it to that because downhill running is quote unquote easier. You don't feel like you're working harder running downhill, like you would uphill or, you know, doing a wind sprint or something like that. Yeah, definitely. That's a great way to look at it. You know, it's, it seems like a downhill is a little bit more eccentrically taxing than uphill, you know, uphill, you kind of take away that eccentric load. It's kind of the same with our sleds. You know, the sleds were able to promote a lot of blood flow. We're able to get rid of a lot of that eccentric load, which, you know, if an athlete's injured or they're in season, they're doing a lot, you know, even if they're not injured and they're doing a lot of other type of training, um, we're able to supplement our program in because 
starting with the sleds, you're just really pushing concentrically. So you're getting that good blood flow that helps healing. Uh, and then you're strengthening concentrically. But like you said, yeah, when you're going downhill, that's a ton of eccentric load. It may feel easy. Um, but the, you know, the body has a weird way of knowing what better than sometimes the brain does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about just kind of the, the principles that you mentioned before, where you're kind of starting from the ground up, where you're focusing on like ankles and knees and kind of knees and hips, hips and shoulders, and kind of just building, building from the ground, ground up. Is there, when you're doing that, is there like a few different movements that you guys really enjoy from to start out with and then progress towards throughout the, for the, throughout the program? Yeah, we, you know, we really pushed, you know, if, if anybody is listening to this, they can try, you know, be careful. If you have problems with your movement, maybe hold on to somebody's hands, but you can start with the walking backwards and that, that is getting you to push through, um, the, the toes, the, the balls of the feet, and then, uh, the knee goes over the toe. And when the knee goes over the toe, we find that the VMO starts to fire. So it strengthens not only the foot, but it strengthens the soleus. And then it starts to fire that VMO, which is the most protective, uh, over the knee of the quadricep muscles. It's always the, it's also the, the fastest of the fast twitch of the uh, four quadricep muscles. So getting that VMO activated is huge. So we start with the backwards movement and then, you know, then ground up for the, as far as like the eccentric loading, you're talking about the tibialis raises. You're talking about KOT calf raises, which can be, you know, that's our way around not having a seated calf machine, you know, because seated calf machine um, is expensive. It's hard to find. Even if you have a nice gym, you might not have a seated calf. So that KOT calf raises with the knees bent, we're able to hit that soleus. So we're able to hit front to back, you know, we're ground up front to back, tibialis to soleus, limb to limb. You know, we do, we, you can do a single leg. So you're, you know, you're really building that, you know, I wouldn't say perfect base, but you're building that base uh, that you can build on, you know, later, whether it's going into the knees more, going into the hips more, uh, and then going into the upper body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Quick question with a, with a seated calf raise, I know at the gym, sometimes you can find like those standing calf raises is the seated one going to be better. Cause it's just going to kind of put, be a little more conducive to pushing kind of past your toes with that. Yeah, I like the seated just because most athletes that I've worked with, including myself, you know, once they get to that high school level, they've done some, they've done some form of standing calf raise, which is going to hit that gastroc, uh, gastrocnemius nemius uh, a little bit more. The straight leg calf raise is going to hit that, the FHL that runs to the big toe. Um, but that bent knee calf raise or the seated calf raise can really get into that soleus. And actually, you know, when we run, uh, the, the muscle that's pulling with the greatest force is the soleus. A lot of the, the load gets put into the soleus. So a weakened soleus, you know, could be Achilles tears. It could also be a, a, a cause of, of even shin splints because it, you know, we work as a unit. So, uh, those are things that the seated calf raise, if you have the machine, I love the seated calf machine, the KOT calf raise is a way around it. If you don't have the machine, um, and they're both awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the calf raises too, if you don't have the weights or the machine, what I find is like, once you kind of get to the point where you feel like you're, you're kind of hitting pretty high reps with it and it's not necessarily, uh, taking you to a point where you're, or, or you've just progressed enough. You can switch to a single leg, which is just kind of a great yeah. way to add another variation to it before having to kind of add, add actual weight to the whole program. Yep. You can do single leg. And then if that becomes easy, you can even add, you can even hold the dumbbell in one of your hands. So there's ways to get a lot of that similar load that you get on a seated calf raise, 
without get you know without spending i think you know what you're spending on i, I want to say is at least 800 it, it could be in the thousands for a seated calf um the prices i don't know a ton about but yeah the, that kot calf race like you said that single leg that's great awareness you know some athletes we need to coach them to find, you know figure that out but you're able to find that out on your own mm -hmm. yeah yeah the other thing i was thinking about uh that would maybe be a useful tool in the semi-early stages or when you're kind of moving past zero into some weight bearing or the same movements with some more weight bearing would be like a weighted vest because you're gonna you can keep your hands free with that um yep. i would think there'd be some some application there for folks to, i know some of the trail runners here probably have weighted vests so they're probably thinking oh well i'll just dust that thing off and use it for more than my uphill hiking <laughs> that's a great idea weighted vest is a, is a great investment you know i don't know what those range in i had one a couple of years ago it's in a storage unit right now um but the weighted vest is I, i've even had trainers uh one of the i think he's the director of the nsca for wisconsin he had he had me doing plyos with the with a weighted vest um so you know you're right you know keeping those hands free is huge that's a great um that's once again you have great awareness you know partially because you're such a great athlete you're able to you know you weren't I, i'm assuming that you know this is an assumption but i'm assuming that you weren't able to run a, a you know a, near a seven minute mile for 100 miles when you were 15 16. i'm assuming that you built up to that uh, and you learn a lot about yourself and about training when you, you know, when you can build yourself up like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you get into any sport long enough to the point where like, you just kind of redefine what you ever thought was possible. And I mean, this is that it's applicable to anybody. It's just like when you're kind of doing a self-development approach. And I think it's just kind of like the cool side of it is if you sit down and take the time to kind of map out a little bit of like, well, here's where I'm at maybe here's where I want to be uh, filling in those gaps with some scaffolding in terms of kind of creating mini goals or targets along the way is such a more rewarding piece to the puzzle. I think that sometimes gets overlooked because it's so easy to focus on, well, where do I want to ultimately be? What's my big goal, which is super motivating to get you started. But sometimes that kind of wanes as like, you know, as time goes by, but when you have these little check marks, like, for you guys to be like, well, I want to first get through the zero program. Then I want to get through some of these kind of more low tech options. Then maybe I'll go to some more heavy equipment, things like that. Setting up those goals and watching those improvements, I think are like so much fun in, in the process. If you take time to pay attention to it. Yeah, definitely. That's what our, you know, our program is built on is, is, is collecting those little wins, you know, and, and at times the power is in, in the regression. Sometimes you, you know, you dial back and that will help you catapult forward because yeah, we can live in this, this time where, it, you know, we want things right now. So athletes reach out to me. I want six inches on my vertical in the first month of training. Well, you know, what I can guarantee you is two to three inches a year. And they will you know, look at me two to three inches a year. You know, I thought two to three inches a month. Well, let's break down what two to three inches a month could be. That could be three feet in a year nobody's gaining that it's never been done uh so you know embracing where you're at on that gradient scale progressing you know not snail like but slowly and then at times regressing to to further progress you those are all things those are keys that you know we talk about those are keys that we teach mm -hmm. yeah do you see because let's let's transition to the basketball a little bit because that's kind of your your sweet spot and i'm sure you've worked with a lot of basketball players and do you find that there's a big or maybe not big, but there's a relatively larger kind of upfront 
improvement that maybe plateaus after a while because they are dealing with some sort of pain or discomfort that they've more or less normalized. But once you kind of correct that now, all of a sudden they're just able to kind of produce what their body was capable of in an ideal situation. And then obviously there's going to be some strengthening going on with the early stages of the program. But then when you get to like, you know, getting everything kind of dialed in, it's more incremental. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, I, when you're dealing with younger athletes, even if they haven't been injured, there's neurological adaptation. So they might see, you know, huge gains. I had a, a, an athlete that was 19 years old when he started training with me. And I think in the first year he had put 13 or 14 inches on his vertical. Um, but it's not typical. And it was his, you know, large part of that was, that was his first exposure to training. You know, I think he went from a 33 to like a 45, uh, maybe 46 within the first year, but that was his first intro to training. And he was also coming in injury and pain free. So it's not typical, but now, you know, we're focusing on like, can we get a half inch in the next month or two? You know, can we get an inch or two in this, in this calendar year? Uh, those, you know, those become a little bit more incremental. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I've seen. All right, folks, just a quick reminder. This episode's sponsors are Athletic Greens and their flagship product, AG1, as well as some of my coaching services, all of which you can find on my website at zachbitter.com. For show sponsor links, head to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors or head to the show notes. Thank you. Do you find that, because it sounds like a lot of the folks you work with are, they, they have a sport or an activity that they prefer. So with those typically come like certain, like, like programming and training that they're going to be doing to try to like improve either the skill set or maybe even just a whole nother strength program that goes alongside the skill set development. Is it difficult to kind of transition in with like the ATG stuff, or does that work pretty seamlessly with a lot of the strength programs? Yeah, that's the beauty of, you know, of the system is it, 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 it flows with other systems. So, you know, I, you know, it, I actually have trained in my in, in almost 15 years of training. I've actually trained more football players than basketball players because football players, uh, they are accustomed to working out at a younger age, lifting weights, doing conditioning or basketball players, we were taught at a young age that we don't lift weights because it can mess our jump shot up. It can mess our shooting percentage up, which there's no actual science that backs that statement, but that was for some reason you can go from high school to college to pro teams. And that's a lot of what is the common belief. Uh, so I've dealt with more football players, guys um, at the, at the highest levels of high school, college and football, we see that they usually have to squat bench deadlift. And with the ATG program, even if we don't touch on those in their whole off season, those numbers in squat bench deadlift will increase just by doing ATG stuff. If they want to touch on it every couple of weeks, every week or so, we'll do that. Um, but we don't find that that to be a necessity. The necessity seems to be the movements within the ATG system. And we're able to see those increases in the traditional squat bench deadlift, which is most programs are built off of that. Um, we're able to see increases with just doing the ATG stuff. Interesting. Does, I want to talk a little bit about some of the kind of the equipment too, because I think some of it is uh, either new or I, I shouldn't say new. A lot of it's been around, like you mentioned before, but they're ones that people don't necessarily think of. And one of them that I saw pop up a lot when I first started kind of jumping into this stuff is the slant board. Can you just tell us a little bit about kind of how someone would use a slant board, why they maybe want something like that and, and where it kind of fits within the, the programming. 
Yeah, the, the slant board, you know, there's a lot of different uses uses for it. We are going to come out with, you know, and I, I don't want to mess this up, but I, I want to say that I'm, I'm, I'm able to share this information now. In February, we will come out with ATG Buddies, which will be a little uh, like a single leg um, slant board, and it will come in twos. So you'll be able to set up all these movements with those. So it's ATG Buddies will be looking on Amazon in February. And I'll, you know, me and the other, you know, people within ATG will be posting more about it as it actually drops. But yeah, those are um, with that, with that slant, with that angle, we're able to stretch, you know, tr- you know, traditionally you can get your, your very good calf stretch, even a soleus gastroc with having that incline. So you can stretch with it. And then we're able to uh, squat single, we do the ATG split squat. Um which you can do in like Romaleos. I, I say Romaleos, weightlifting shoes. Uh, Nike makes a pair that are called Romaleos. You can do that with the with the um, with the shoes, but you're talking about two hundred dollars shoe. Where this should be around thirty dollars to get these. So you just you can wear your normal shoe, whether that's uh, your ultra running shoe or um, a training shoe. I've trained this last year in almost. I think every single workout, just basketball shoes, because I wanted to show that it can be done. It's not as much about the footwear as the movements. Um, I do think there's potential for big gains as you go into, you know, I think even I, I talk with the people at Ultra, there's like a solstice, like a training shoe. I think there's, but there's a lot of potential there. Um, but the, the slant lets us um, really get into that full knee bend. Uh, and it, and it, when you're talking about two leg squats, having a little bit of elevation in the heel lets that hip go right above that toe and that, and that ball of the foot, which is what happens when you're, when you're cutting, when you're jumping, when you're exploding out of your movements, that hip is going to strike right above your foot. It's not going to be the hip super far behind. It's not going to be uh, super far in front. Um, so that's, you know, it's, it, it kind of ties back to that KOT with knees over toes, you know, how sports are played. Cause even lateral cuts, we're seeing that the, the more explosive and controlled lateral movement would be from the foot striking below the hip versus out in front or behind. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think like I always uh, probably neglect the lateral movements a little more than I should. Uh, Can you just share a little bit about like what, what types of movements you focus on that are going to be most beneficial to kind of support that type of movement? Yeah. You know, we, even with just the, the, the KOT, like quarter squat, the step up, we're able to see lateral movement is it, we're able to increase the time we're spent in that bent knees over toes position, which when you're playing defense, you know, I'll tie this into basketball because that's what I have the most experience in on my, my own training. I've trained more football players, but I have more experience as a basketball player. You're able to stay in that knees over toes position longer, which helps you move side to side and you're stronger with your feet under your hip. So even if we don't do a lateral lunge, we're able to see increases in lateral times when we test with our football players that have lateral, they have a lateral three cone test, I think for the, for the NFL, we're able to see those with the, with the KOT step up, which is like the, there's the Patrick Poliquin and Peterson variations. And then the, the ATG split squat, which goes into that full knee bend single leg. Uh, when once again, that, that foot is under the hip. Um, we have played around with some like Copenhagen's, um, the, the lateral movement's a little bit harder to scale than the movements that we have about 24 core ATG movements. They're very, very easy to scale with or without equipment. Zero is just eight exercises without equipment. The, the ATG essentials is 24, about 24, 23. Um, and you, you can, you, you don't need, now I, I, this is, this is something that if you have equipment, it, it's going to help. 
you don't need equipment. So like you said, there's ways we've, we've developed and we've been able to find, you know, with, you know, being in, in almost a hundred countries, people come up with interesting ways to, to come up with equipment like yourself. Like you just told me about the, the gallon of water. There's ways to get this equipment um, and scale these exercises without doing, you know, without having to worry about, you know, the nice gym membership or, or the, the, you know, the bougiest of the equipments. Um, but yeah, this, you know, the long, long answer short, we're able to see increases in lateral strength with the ATG split squat, with the knees over toes, uh, the, the quarter squat with even the, um, even with the, the backwards moving because we're so we've, we've moved so much forwards, especially myself, that the backwards movement helps me be more balanced. It's kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll tie it back to, to the ultra shoot. You're, you're, you for a long period of time, we were all on an elevated heel and we were being shifted forwards so that dropping the heel helps balance out. So same thing with the forwards movement. We were always, you know, going forwards now going backwards helps even it out. And mm. we're able to see not just increases, you know, they did a study, they took two groups and this is, I think this is, uh, the, the NCHI, the published med. Um, they took two groups of high school boys. They had one group work on forward sprinting for eight weeks. And the other group work on, uh, backwards sprinting. You might need a fact check on the eight weeks. I don't know for sure if it was that the group that just worked on backwards sprinting versus the forward sprinting. Not only did they get faster going forwards, obviously they got faster going back. They got faster going backwards. They got faster going forwards than the forwards group, the, the group that was going forwards. And they got four times the amount of increase in their vertical. Uh, and they didn't test them for lateral speed, speed, but I would, you know, it would be my hypothesis that the, their lateral speed would have increased too if they tested it. I don't think they tested it. They just looked at forward speed, backward speed, and then the counter movement jumps. So the vertical, uh, they were able to increase it by four times. So it's interesting. You know, some of the stuff is actually scientifically backed. Most of the stuff is that the one thing that's, that kind of stands out in our program that hasn't really had a ton of scientific research is strengthening that tibialis. Um, but yeah, the lateral stuff we've done, um, we've, we've played around with some lateral variations, the Copenhagen's, some of this ankle eversion, inversion stuff. Um, but yeah, we've, uh, we, all of our athletes are not only faster going forwards, backwards, jumping higher. They also are testing, uh, at all time highs for their lateral speeds. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I've noticed at the gym I go to more recently is there seems to be an increase in people walking backwards on the treadmills. <laughs> I couldn't help but think that that was partly driven by all you at ATG. You want to talk about just like the different ways to kind of use a treadmill. If you have access to one of those to do yeah. kind of the backwards stuff. Yeah, definitely. And this is, you know, this is my work with, with treadmills. I've probably tried about 10 or 15 different brands. Everyone, but one, you could power without the, you know, you could power the belt going backwards without it being turned on. And that is where we see, uh, it, it'd be a little more beneficial to knee health than if you turn it on, like say one, one mile per hour, 1.5 miles per hour, and you walk backwards, still great, you know, but I actually like just walking backwards on the ground, you know, normal ground better than doing the, the, the rotating wheel. Now you can walk backwards on flat ground. You can walk backwards going uphill that can add an element. You can push a car. If you have somebody's, uh, in, in the, in the driver's seat and they have it in neutral and they're steering it, you can push it in reverse. I have shown that. And then the dead, we call it dead mill power mill is the, you know, when you're on the treadmill, there's no power on it and you're pushing backwards in reverse. Uh, with, you know, the belt, you're powering it yourself through your feet, through your leg power. Uh, those are all great options. The, 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 the holy grail of all those is the sleds because 
with the sleds, you're able to put, um, you're able to put like five kilos, 10 kilos or, or, or pounds or whatever you have it. Uh, you're able to scale that a little bit easier. That car, it, it's very hard to scale because some cars are super heavy. Some are light, you know, the Hills also a little bit harder to scale. Um, like you said, a weighted vest up a hill might be a great option. Um, but the sleds is, is really, uh, the, if you have access to it, I know rogue, you know, now we're talking about $300 for, I think is what is the best sled on the market versus, you know, 2,050, you know, 2,500 or 3,000 for a pack deck. And it's kind of, you know, where are we at with what we need? Do we need, do we absolutely need to get our, you know, our packs stronger in that motion or do we need to get stronger in reverse? And, you know, it's a, it's a hierarchy of needs. And I think that we need as a whole, not just athletes, um, we need to get stronger in reverse for every one, uh, Chinese knee surgery. We have 20 American, they are known for walking backwards in their public gardens, you know, wherever. And their proverb is a hundred steps backwards is worth a thousand steps forwards. Interesting. So this stuff dates back quite a ways in terms of when it was first seen as a valuable thing, but we've more or less probably partly due to what we've talked about earlier. It's just not a very attractive, maybe uh, like movement to, to build into your programming, but it sounds like if, uh, if people want to kind of start out with something like this, walking backwards, isn't a bad, bad way to kind of integrate yourself into the stuff before really jumping in. Yeah, definitely. That's what I tell anybody that reaches out, you know, they, they want to know more about it. I say, you know, if you can, and that's, I've started a lot of the NBA guys I've worked with. I started them on just walking backwards. They're typically at that point in their career, they're overtrained. They're, you know, they're over injured. Um, they're, they're struggling to recover. So something as light and, you know, loading, you know, walking backwards is going to do wonders versus like, Hey, go push a truck backwards. That's going to probably be too much uh, tension on, on those, those, those aches and, 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 um, injuries. So just walking backwards had guys in the bubble when they had the bubble restart, we had guys in the bubble doing like three walks for 10 to 15 minute, minutes, uh, uh, um, a week, um, walking backwards. And they were able to see great results. Once that becomes easy, once that becomes pain-free, then we scale it. Then you start adding in the tip raises, all of zero. Then you can start adding the sleds. You can start adding all those other stuff in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned reminded me of something I should ask is the because people are starting at such, such a range of different, uh, I guess, ranges more or less where like, you know, when I started doing the, the knees over toe squats, like I could get a certain, a certain way forward before I could kind of start to feel that little sensation of pain. And that was kind of my point to like, okay, go up to that and then kind of stop and work that for a while. And then over time, I'm able to get further and further along. Is that kind of the more or less the messaging around it? Is there like a pain threshold that you should try to avoid yep. passing through or pushing through? Yep. We never work through pain. So that even with the zero, there's eight levels starting with the backwards walking, which is the zero level. Then the one is the tip raise two is the, uh, your FHL calf raise. So you go up into the levels and you do what you can pain free. It might just be backwards walking and tib raises. Even the, the calf raises might hurt. So you might just do backwards walking and tib raises for a week, depending where you're at. You might just do backwards walking. You might be able to do backwards walking, tib raises and the, and, and calf raises. So it's, it's finding where you're at on that scale and going to the point, you know, where you, where you would feel pain and then stopping, not trying to push through that. Um, it's, yeah, it's very, that's the one thing that it just fast, even to this day, it fascinates me about Ben is he was able to find a way to scale things so that everybody can do it at their level and then find where they can go to. And over time, 
you know, strength radiates at 15 degrees. So if you, if you're doing that knees over toes, quarter squat, and you're only able to get, you know, a, a couple degrees of, of motion with pain-free, well, that's fine because over a week or two of time, that 15 degrees will radiate. So the next time in two weeks and three weeks and four weeks, you'll be able to get further and further down. Um, and that's how we're able to, to work with people that are, that are in pain. Cause most people, especially most athletes I work with, doesn't matter if they're pro or college, even now that, you know, it's an epidemic right now with the, even the younger ones getting injured, they will have pain somewhere. You know, it's, they, some of them like myself, when I started ATG, I had compensated so much with my movement patterns that through some of the movements, I was able to feel, oh man, I have pain in here. I almost, you know, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even cognitive. I wasn't even mindful that that pain was still there. I just had done such a good job of avoiding it. Um, and that's what a lot of this is. It's avoidance. So we're confronting these issues, never working through pain, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's leveled, it's scaled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the, the rewarding part of it was kind of what your description was, where if you kind of stick to it, you see some of those, those gains. And that was the first one I, I, I noticed it was with the, the, the KOT or knees over toes squat where, uh, you know, it, you get that little bit of improvement each time you do it. And that was kind of enough to be, make me excited to want to do it again and see like, okay, can I push a little bit further before I start feeling like it's time to stop? And, uh, that kind of having that, that, that reward system built in was, uh, kind of a powerful mover, I think for me and a lot of folks who are going to start trying to do some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I get, uh, sometimes I get, sorry to cut you off. I, no, sometimes I do. Sometimes I get, you know, you know, I get, we get a lot of hate, you know, I, I, I try to my best to deal with it. It does weigh on me a little bit at times and I need to be better, but I'm a human. Um, but, um, yeah, there, there is, uh, there's times where people will say that I'm being fake positive because I will go on somebody's page and be like, this is amazing. And it's not fake positivity. You know, if you've actually gone through it, like you said, those little wins, they're worth celebrating. And I think at times I was brought up in a time where you didn't celebrate little things. You were only focused on huge goals, but I'm very big on, you know, being positive, being reinforcing, not fake positivity because there is, you know, toxicity there, but really, you know, if you, if you've struggled enough as an athlete, you'll know that. Uh, uh, you know, 15 degrees into the quarter squat is a win for, you know, and it's where everybody's at. You know, I posted something today. I'm focused on being better than I was last year. It's not, I'm not competing with other people. I'm competing with myself. And, you know, that's something that I've seen with the, with the little wins is at times it's hard for people to understand. They think it's, they think it's fake. They think it's cheesy, but it's, it's very real. You know, I'm, uh, I'm excited for everybody um, to be able to, you know, have the chance to experience getting rid of physical pain. Like I was able to get rid of it through little wins um, that are worth celebrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think some of it goes back to, to just this kind of avoidance of things you're bad at too, where I, one, one of the people I like to follow that I think does a really good job of addressing is this Mark Bell, because he, uh, he seems to be, as soon as he becomes like world-class at something, he's like, well, let's figure out the exact opposite of this and find out how bad I am at that. Because ultimately if you're like world-class at something, the polar opposite, you've probably ended up by default getting worse at because there's always a trade-off when it comes to peak performance. But uh, yep. he's been great with that uh, and kind of showcasing it too. So uh, I think when you look at it, like, Oh, if I find something I'm really bad at or a real weakness of mine, I could avoid it because it's like, very humbling and sometimes mm -hmm. embarrassing to show how much worse I am at this versus the thing that I'm quote unquote good at. 
but you see so much growth when you kind of take the time to kind of step back and say, okay, we got to start from the very beginning on this one. And I think if you spin the mess, spin the messaging or the voice in your head a little bit to be like positive about that, where, oh, I'm going to see a lot of gains and maybe some bigger gains versus the very incremental stuff I'm getting at my primary activity because I've been doing it for so long. You can kind of reverse that negativity into a positivity. And, and that's what I think is so valuable about what you were saying, where going out and, and congratulating people for kind of taking that first step and making a small gain that maybe would look trivial to someone who's been doing it for a while. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's something that I can you know really speak to for the basketball players that are listening. And this would transcend, to, you know, my hypothesis is this would transcend other sports too, but um, you want to increase your shooting percentage. It hasn't really been taught to shoot, you know, to practice shooting with your opposite hand. Now, you know, when I did it, you know, Ben also showed me that when I first did it, it made me feel like I was horrible at basketball. So it was easy to not go back to it. I was like, man, I am horrible at shooting with my opposite hand. Layups is one thing. You're taught at a young age to lay the ball up with both hands on either side of the rim. But shooting, actual the, the actual art of shooting five feet, 10 feet, 15 feet away from the rim, working that, that non-dominant hand, um, we're able to see increases in percentage of the of the dominant hand shooting percentage. So even if you're a great shooter listening to this, you can benefit greatly by shooting with the opposite hand, practicing with the opposite hand. And these are things that, you know, we used to use the term a lot, success leaves clues. Michael Jordan could shoot with his non-dominant hand. Larry Bird scored 40 points in a game using his left hand, which is his non-dominant hand. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, the best shooters you know, of all time could shoot with their non-dominant hand, but it was, it's never been coached as, as well as I might as well just give this too, is our vertical program is working on all four plants. We call it dunk balance. It's jumping off of your left foot, single leg, right foot, single leg, left, right, and then right, left for your two legs. Usually athletes will have, uh, like myself, I would only like to jump left foot, single leg and left, right. So what, you know, I wasn't able to absorb forces with my right leg. And ultimately I tore my right meniscus. Michael Jordan, you know, going back to people that, you know, you can look and, and go YouTube on, he was jumping left foot, single leg, but his two leg was right left. So he was able to just have, you know, I think one foot injury. And then when he had that foot injury, he built up his, you know, his non-dominant leg, but he was able to avoid that a little bit. Kobe Bryant, who didn't have an injury till later in his career with his Achilles, he was able to dunk off all four plants. He showed that ability during games. Um, somebody like, Derek Rose, the youngest MVP of all time, maybe the, you know, the most potential for, for greatness that we've ever seen in an athlete, he would only, and you can fact check this. This is something that I'm not speaking from opinion. This is something you can look at the film. He only dunked off his left foot and his left, right. So he was always bound to tear that right knee. He tore mm -hmm. his left knee first because he slammed it. He went left to right on a pro hop. He taps his right foot first. He freaks out in his head, slams his left foot, tears his left knee. He comes back for them injury. He's in the Chicago Tribune because I'm not that far from Chicago and Kenosha growing up. I, you know, bulls were very near and dear to me. He comes out, says, I've increased my vertical by six inches. I'm in more athletic than I've ever been. I'm in the best shape of my life. They didn't rebalance his jump bounce, his dunk bounce. So then nine days after that, you know, release in the paper, he ended up tearing his right knee, which was something that he was probably always bound to happen because he never practiced off his right foot and his right left. So if you're a young athlete and you're a basketball player specifically, work on jumping off of all four plants. I would even go with the extent of if you're a triple jumper, long jumper, high jumper, I would still be working on all four plants because there's there's different mechanics involved in each. And most people, especially by the age of 10, 12, 14, and going on, they will have established such dominance in one side 
that they will be out of balance. And then, then that can lead to injuries, not just in the, the non-dominant side, but it can lead to injuries anywhere because you're just off balance. Mm -hmm. So when you watch a basketball game, are you like paying attention to like which players are showing these trends in terms of like, oh, this person's clearly versatile. They're going at it from all these angles versus someone who like is kind of driving to their dominant. Yeah. Yep. It's definitely something that I look for, even with the pros. Um, I found I found guys in the NBA I've worked with. There was one that had uh, a 44, 44 inch vertical. I want to say on his dominant leg when he was doing single leg, his non-dominant was like 36. So that's an eight inch deficiency. And that's not even as bad as I've seen. My deficiency was probably a lot worse. Um, but yeah, those are things I look for. Are they, you know, are they able to go to both sides? Because even something like jump balance combined with the knee ability program, which is, you know, balancing both sides, you're able to, you're able to see the athletes move better side to side. It doesn't matter if it's the right side, which is usually the dominant hand or the left side, they're able to do that. So you, yeah, that's what I look for with and not just with when I'm watching basketball, when I'm playing basketball, I'm trying to observe as quickly on that court because usually I play with guys that I never play with. Um, I'll, uh, you know, and I won't know. So I try to make a mental note as quick as possible. All right. Do they, do they look like they're struggling to go to that one side? Do they favor this one side? And then just, you know, then you're, then it's just, a, it becomes a game at that point. And then you're just trying to figure out, you know, what, you know, sometimes you actually want to play them into that strong side. Cause you want them to feel, you know, like they're, that they, they can, they can keep getting their shot off and then you cut it off. Sometimes you cut it off right away. That's where the, uh, you know, the art of war comes in, you, you know, you're yeah. using different tactics and um, it really becomes fun when you can attack these things pain-free because I used to sit on defense and my hips would rise, my back would hurt. I wasn't able to maintain that knees over toes position with the ATG program, with the coaching. Now I'm able to sit for 40 minutes in that position, whether it's on offense or defense, and I'm no longer a liability on either. I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm actually able to impact the game at, at a high level on both sides of the ball, um, which it, it, when my knees were bad, when, when I was weak from the strong, from the ground up, not balanced, I wasn't able to stay low. The lower you are, uh, we find to be the, you know, the more explosive, not only the more protected you are, but the more explosive you'll be driving to the lane or staying low on defense and cutting people off. Interesting. So is the single leg vertical variance one of the first things you do to like assess where someone's at with this sort of stuff when it comes to basketball? Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll look at that, you know, and I'll look at the jump shot, you know, I, I want to see and I want to see not only, you know, where they're at as far as are, is there is their non dominant hand good at, at um, is it is it good at, at the sh at shooting? I want to see how they respond when it's not good at you know when when the non dominant hand is is horrible because I've seen guys even at the pro level when they shot with the non dominant hand they go to two two hand shooting it's you see such you see the brain work at, at such you know a, 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 you know you see such quick feedback from that from the brain because it's not that they're not physically strong enough they've typically lifted enough they're usually good enough athletes you know even just God given athletes. They're typically strong enough where they can get the shot off, but it's the mechanics, the fine tuning things that are going on in the brain that we're, you know, we're looking at. And then, you know, even with the flexibility, you know, I can put somebody through a six point flexibility test and I can tell, okay, you know, the hip flexors might be short and might be weakened versus the quads. They might be a little more dominant. And there's all different tests you can do. Usually, um, especially as the program evolves and advances, we don't necessarily test as much as we just get people started. You know, like I said, start walking backwards. When that becomes easy, add the tib raises, go through the levels of zero. That's what we do. Whether it's, you know, a, a kid that like myself, that's 10 years old, that was struggling with injuries at a young age, or it's somebody that's making 350 you know, million in the, in the major league baseball association, they're going to start 
with that backwards movement, they're going to start with the first levels of mobility zero. Interesting. Uh, one other question I have, uh, I was at the super training gym with, with Mark and Sima a few months ago, and they were telling me that I should start incorporating, uh, a cable squat with a slant board. Can you talk to yep. us a little bit about that particular movement and why it would be valuable? Yeah, I've seen that, you know, and there's the, you, there's, you can also flip that slant board around and do calf raises holding something through the cable. So you got the cable and I've seen that, um, those are newer variations. Um, I like it, you know, I like what I like where their heads at with the, you know, I saw you go backwards at the, on YouTube yeah. and that's <laughs> awesome. Now, when you get into the forwards, I like the forwards, but what we'll do with the forwards is we'll use that. It's called, I think, a rogue dog sled. There's all different brands, Titan, Valor. I think they all offer these. They have the two bars, and then you're able to get low when you go forward. So that knee is low to the ground. You're able to lengthen that Achilles under load. We're able to get rid of a lot of these issues, foot, foot issues, Achilles, tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, by loading that in that KO2 position. You'll see it's very similar to how football players, when they cut, basketball players, when they're driving to the lane, their knees are low to the ground, so they're pushing this way, which is a little different than I saw, how I saw it done at the at the super gym. But yeah, there's all different ways that you can load a slant board. You can hold the weight goblet. You can hold it on you know front squat, back squat. You can hold dumbbells on your side. You can hold the cable. It will pull you forward a little bit more. You could even probably hold it the cable behind your back. It'll pull you back a little bit more. Um, and that's the you know those are the things that I think in this next couple of years you'll see people. Uh, attempt is is how could they add things into the ATG system? Because right now the ATG system, um, a, as far as the testing and, and stuff I've played around in the last four years, it's best done as it is. But those are cool. Uh, you know, even seeing Mark Bell go forward with the harness around his waist, which is something we do for our backwards. I'd never really saw it, you know, being done forward as much that way. So it's cool to see how people, you know, like he said, he's looking for weaknesses. He's looking for areas that he's not good at. And that's, you know, those are where we, we are able to see our biggest gains is finding that weakness, whether that's the non-dominant shooting, the, you know, non-dominant jumping. You may, if for soccer players, it's non-dominant kicking for goalies, it's going to be throwing the ball out of the box with their non-dominant hand. Cause they all throw dominant hand out. Um, seeing how these stuff, this stuff impacts performance. Um, even though it's stuff that's been practiced before, like the tibialis raise, like the backward movements, it's, we're going away from it. And now it's cool to see, you know, people, you know, start to, you know, I put on my story, Clay Thompson is shooting his non-dominant hand. Should you, and only 65% said they, they would try it. 35% still said, no, I'm good. I, I got, you know, I got it figured out. So it's still, there's still a lot of education and, and things that could be shown, you know, to, to spark this, you know, renaissance of things that were working before that we went away from and we start implementing it again. You know, if it was good enough for Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, you would think it would be good enough for that next generation of athletes, but it's, you know, it's how you learn. It's where you're at in the learning process and how you're being coached. So I try to stay as positive and, and, and reinforcing as possible because, you know, I know what it's like to be down and I know what it's like to look for answers from, you know, people that should have them and, you know, for whatever reason they didn't have them. So that can be very um, depressing. That can be very disappointing. I just want to be able to provide with basketball biology a platform where people can come on there and they don't have to buy anything. They can make improvements just by looking at the stuff and trying it. And then if they want to make quicker gains or, 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 or more study, steady gains, then they can, you know, then they, they can look at $20 a month for, for the first month of coaching. You can cancel at any time. It, it's, it, it's probably the best deal in fitness because you, when you're, when you combine the, the program, the movements that we're doing with the coaching, 
that's when you can see those continued gains. And not only do we provide form coaching through ATG, we provide you know customer service at a highest level. And then also they can, you know, these the members can ask whatever questions they want. They can ask about diet. You know, I don't talk a lot about diet on on social just because I try to keep it more about the physical training side of things. You know, I don't talk about uh, mindset, mentality, um, breath work, um, meditation as much on social because I focus a little bit more on the physical. Those are things that I probably in 2022, I tease the diet a little bit. Um, those are things I probably dive in a little bit more, but that's something, you know, even diet from your, from you having your podcast, I've learned a lot from that, from you being on Joe, from Joe, having other people on there. I've learned more, um, probably, you know, from you guys than I did from my nurse's nutrition class that I had in my, in my undergrad, which not a knock to my nurse's nutrition class is very hard, very extensive, but it was being taught, you know, certain things were being taught off of science that I, I didn't see the results myself by practicing that science, you know, looking at your diet and practicing some of the stuff that you've done, I've been, I've been able to see the results that I wanted. And then also like with Ben and yourself, I want to learn from people that have results that I wish to obtain. You know, it's important that people are educated, but education with the internet can look like a lot of different things. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be initials next to the name. I'm looking for that education combined with that experience and more experience in education, but usually they go, you know, hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I think nutrition is, is an interesting one because it's like, first of all, so hard to really study directly, uh, for long-term stuff. And you, we find ourselves in this position, I think, where it's like relative to some of the other sciences, it's just by default has to be lower quality because the high quality stuff we can't do. Uh, or if we did, it would cost so much money. It's like, who's going to fund it kind of a type of thing. And, uh, and it's not a quick thing either. It's not like, Oh, we can do this for four to six weeks and be done with it. It's like, well, to really know we might need to do like a 20 to 30 year study or something like that. And, and I find that really interesting. So then when you get these like population level recommendations, it's like, cool, maybe that would work in practice with, 60, 70% of the population, but what about the other 30 to 40%? And then what about adherence? And what about like individual contacts? Like, like for me specifically, it's always like, well, like, you know, I'm running a hundred mile race and people consider that endurance. Uh, but it's quite a bit different than racing a 5k or like, a you know, a mile or something like that. So oftentimes I think a lot of that stuff ends up, it, it's tough. Like you said, like on, on Instagram, you kind of have to pick one thing to go like, really, really deep into. And then adding other things just means like, now you're going to have to add the context to that if you want to do it right. And that's just going to be a whole nother, a whole nother can of worms to open up. So you're probably smart to focus on one thing first and then phase in other stuff once you kind of have a system in place for the things that you're really comfortable with. Definitely. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So where can folks find you? I know on, on, on Instagram, your, your handle is basketball.biology. Uh, yep. You have so many great resources over there. So I would recommend all the listeners to head over there and check that out and, and give you a follow there. Uh, any other spots that people can find you? That you're yep. Putting stuff TikTok. On? Yep. TikTok's the same tip basketball.biology YouTube. There's no dot. So it's just basketball biology. At this point in 2021, I started, you know, the YouTube and TikTok. They're, the YouTube is just the shorts, which are those like reels that are on uh, Instagram. In 2022, I'm really going to dive into uh, longer range videos, you know, you know, five, seven minutes, maybe more. I have done a lot this last year that I haven't released. I, I've trained 
um, some bigger, bigger named athletes that people would be, you know, they would know who they are. I haven't released any of that because, um, I am not, uh, a, that good at editing. So Instagram makes it in Instagram and TikTok have features that make it easy to edit and chop down these, these videos that I shoot. Everything I've shot has been from my iPhone, but then my longer range videos that I've shot through my iPhone. Um, I haven't, you know, I haven't built that ability to be good at editing and I want it in a certain way. So I have a lot of footage from this year and I'm going to, you know, when I, you know, even going into next year, getting more footage, I'm going to really start to dive into the YouTube world, which is something that, um, right now I think I'm at like 500 subs. It's just been shorts. It's just been the 10 second, five to 15 second videos of, you know, me doing the workouts with maybe a little explanation, but not as much as I can, you know, provide if it's, like even just like a putting the podcast on, on, on the YouTube, it's able, you know, you're able to get a lot more information out versus Instagram. It's not really what people are looking for. Sure. Yeah. It kind of opens up another Avenue, but, uh, I'll definitely be looking forward to the 2022 YouTube, uh, and add on. So <laughs> yeah. awesome. Well, David, anything else you want to chat about before, before we head out? Oh man, I, I can chat for, for days. Uh, I think, you know, I think I, I shared most of, you know, I'd probably say that the, the code that people are looking for when I say $20, cause it's $50 a month, the code that you're looking for is give fit 2022. That will get it to $20 for the first month. You can cancel anytime. So that's through ATG. The link is in the bio. That's atgonlinecoaching.com. Um, there's a lot of really cool things that will be coming out with as a company, um, even in these first months of, of 2022. So it's definitely something that um, if you're interested in take a look, um, and then, yeah, like you said, there's so much free information just even between my Instagram and Ben's Instagram. Then you add some of the other Instagrams. If you have questions, we are, you know, we're really good about getting back to people because we're products of the product. You know, we're, we're, uh, for, you know, this is a, the best time of my life because I'm not in a sales position. I'm not selling something that I don't believe in. This is something that I believe with all my heart, um, uh, you know, like it's, it's, I don't find it to be as tricky as diet. I don't find it to be as this works for somebody. It doesn't work for these other people. Like we've talked about knees over toes is something that happens, not just in sports. You go down the stairs, your knees going considerably over your toes. You go to Ben's to pick something up. Your knees are going over toes. Even when you're walking, there's a, it, it starts to go right over the toe. So, you know, if you're living, you know, take a look at, at this stuff. And if you have questions, shoot us a DM. Um, and if you want to try stuff out, try stuff, try stuff out. And, uh, I really appreciate you having me on, you know, it's been uh, awesome to see what you've done in, in your field, and, you know, as a, at the highest level, it's always awesome to study the, the athletes at the highest level, which is why I tie back to Muhammad Ali talking about the backwards movement, talk to, you know, talk about the shooting non-dominant hand with Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, um, Steph Curry, guys like that, um, because there's always so much you can learn um, by studying the greats. So if you're listening to this, you probably know who Zach is, but you can uh, all, you can, like I did on last night on YouTube, I looked at your running form and I saw, yeah, the knee is going over the toes when he's running this seven, you know, seven minute, I think 19 second or 18 second mile for a hundred miles, which that baffles me. Cause I don't think I could hold that pace for more than a mile or two. Um, <laughs> if I really pushed it, if you coached me up, yes, but you know, I've, you know, I really do appreciate you having me on. It's a, uh, it's an honor and, and I'm grateful that to be in the position with, you know, one thing I would tie back is I've had a lot of help. You know, I think, uh, there's been a push for people, you know, you athletes to move into this culture of, I did it on my own. I'm self-made. Um, I don't know. That's for everybody, you know, for, you know, you would have to hear everybody else's story, but for myself, I'm probably the furthest thing away from being self-made. I've been, you know, grew up with two great parents. They're very supportive. 
I have uh, a brother and three sisters. They're, uh, I've learned a lot from them. They're very supportive. I have nine, about to be 10 nephews and nieces, all under the age of six. They're, I learn a lot from them. I'm, they're very supportive. Then I have the, you know, the, the, the Ben's and the Quentin's and Marcel's at ATG, my friend, you know, one of my closest friends, Josh, uh, he's going buckets on Instagram. Um, I, I, you know, I can't thank the people around me enough, um, for, for lending out their, you know, their, their guidance, their help. Um, a lot of it, you know, you, you're going to have to explore on your own, but having people around, even if it's just one person can be a world of difference. And I've been blessed to have uh, quite a few people. Awesome, David. Well, it's my pleasure to have you on. I will definitely put the links of all the stuff that you mentioned in the show notes. So if listeners want to quickly head over to see any of that stuff, they can find them there. But uh, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks. If you are interested in adding some structure to your training program, I have some options that might interest you. Over on my website, ZachBitter.com, I have a wide range of ready-made plans that have options for beginners to advanced endurance athletes. I also have personalized plan options where I will cater a plan specific to the event you are preparing for and your personal schedule and training availability. You can also access a variety of add-on options from email collaboration to consultation calls to help guide you through your training and nutrition needs. You can access these with or without a formal plan. So head over to ZachBitter.com and let me know what you think.